This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Kathy Love, an allied health business coach, author, occupational therapist, and founder of NACA Consulting. Kathy shares her lived experience with me in starting up her private practice and dealing with the challenges and opportunities of growth personally as a practice owner, leading inspired allied health teams, providing client-centric healthcare, and embracing innovation to run a more productive, powerful, and profitable healthcare business. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Kathy, how are you today? Super well, super well. There's sunshine where I am, which is, um, yeah, makes such an epic difference on your day, I reckon. Absolutely does. Thanks for making the time today. So I wanted to get you on and have a little bit of a chat about you and um, what you're doing and who you're doing it for and what some of the big issues are that you're seeing out there in allied healthcare. Thank you. I'm super excited to be a guest. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, look, by trade, I'm an occupational therapist and um, had a range of employment opportunities in the early days and loved most of them. What I soon realised was that there was an energetic, creative streak sitting there that made me increasingly unemployable. I was a leadership nightmare, I think. And so my motivations for becoming self-employed in private practice were very, very similar to what I now hear from my clients. I wanted flexibility. I wanted creativity. I wanted to make my sized um, dent in the universe. And um, yes, this whole flexibility around a family. Goodness, if only I knew what that ended up really looking like. So I uh, started private practice in Melbourne in the um, mid to late 90s. And The business was called Kids Therapy Network and we worked with children with different abilities and their families and carers and educators. And it went from woe to go very, very quickly and I had a business that grew way quicker than my management and leadership skill set did. So luckily this was pointed out to me and I brought in advisors really, really soon and mentors really, really soon and um, couldn't have done it, absolutely couldn't have done it without those external eyes and accountability and the sounding board and support, really, support the the co-pilot piece. So Kids Therapy Network just continued to grow and grow and I sold it in 2012 with absolute peace in my heart that I didn't know what I was going to be doing next. And I got a lot of um, coaching work to be super comfy with that. I spent a bit of time working with the new owners and, and that was super, super interesting and seeing my business and a couple of others that acquired from a very different perspective, both strategically and operationally. But then my phone started ringing with friends saying, well, now we're not sort of competitors or, or now you're a bit more free. I wasn't really. How could you help me with my business? And that's when Naker Consulting emerged. And um, we work with allied health business owners, helping them run powerful and profitable businesses. Money isn't always a motivator in what we do. And when we think back to the allied health DNA, it's very much about um, making an impact, changing people's lives in really, really good ways, being respected, having integrity and being able to, uh, yeah, make that difference that we 
we went to uni for in the first place. So um, do you know the meaning of NACA? Have we talked about that? Not in great detail, but uh, I've shared with you my thoughts on branding, so I'd love to hear the story. Tell me more about it. (laughs) Oh, look, it was lucky this business even ever started because I was so stuck for what to call it, like ridiculously stuck on what to call it. And I was shopping with a colleague and I had pearls on. I nearly always wear pearls. We have pearls on today for those listening. And we were playing around with all these words. She was a speech pathologist, so a word wizard. And she said, what about NACR? And it was a word I'd never heard of. It is actually the process of grit turning into a pearl. So in those oyster shells, there is grit and what happens through chemicals and natural forces and patience and time and all of that gorgeous stuff is the grit layers up layers of resilience. And that's a much better word than calcification, I think. So layers of brilliance. And the nature of the pearl is actually the quality of the coating of the outside. So that sits with my values of we are all lifelong learners and we're out there to grow and make a difference. And we're all going to be absolutely unique in what our pearl and what our business essentially looks like. So um, that word stuck, couldn't get home fast enough. Funnily enough, the URL was pretty available. <laughs> so um, it certainly gives me opportunity, back to your branding thought, about um, explaining what the word means. 95% of people can't say it, so that's perhaps not quite what I had in mind at the time, but it is a chance to explain that story. And, some, you know, my, my business values sit there in growth and in learning and in individuality and having pride in, in what the, the end pearl looks like. Yeah, I think um, your personal brand is definitely uh, much stronger, at least from my perception. But I think what's important, though, is that you've encapsulated the philosophy and the approach. You've got to sort of understand um, that business isn't turnkey. It's not as though you sort of just start it and it's perfect. Far from it, actually, because um, we have strengths and weaknesses as uh, business leaders. And um, that first journey, I think, is um, the self-reflection. And it's hard to do in the early days because you you kind of put in a position where you think you have to know everything. Did you sort of find that? You, you sort of mentioned your own journey was uh, a situation where you're rapidly growing. There's a phase before that I didn't know what I needed to know. Yeah, that there was a blissful ignorance that I thought that my clinical skills were going to be enough. And to a large extent, the clinical skill, the clinical toolbox is remarkable for running an allied health business. What I probably hadn't done, this is a long time ago. (laughs) I think I've deleted some of these memory files. What I hadn't done was made that cognitive transference, that conceptual transference of setting goals, developing a program, getting in and getting the work done, measuring progress, revisiting goals, checking back in, and that sort of agility. I hadn't applied that to business at that time. I also knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about finances, but I had tenacity and I had, you know, failure is not an option uh, sitting there at the back as well. So those last two were bigger drivers to get help. I believe, than the planning phase. But, um, yeah, what drove me to get help and want to play a bigger game are probably really different from other people's as well. And having that awareness and knowing those differences, I believe, is super, super cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Um, I'm kind of relating to your story from the point of view that as I was coming through, you know, getting a career path, out in the workforce, feeling as though I needed a mentor, I needed a coach, I needed mm-hmm. – I needed a big brother or a big sister. I needed somebody who I could go to and actually talk about my vulnerabilities, talk about that self-perception around where I thought Mm. 
I was struggling or, or I wasn't quite um, in the zone in terms of, you know, the career and eventually in the, in the business that I started. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it takes, it takes a, a bit of a self journey to then say to yourself, right, I think I need help. And you want to reach out, you know, to somebody. Mm. And, um, and I'd agree with you. There's no sort of perfect blueprint for how these things get done. I hear a lot about um, these sort of uh, keywords on, you know, how to do a business and, you know, some people, you know, always try and distill it down into these, you know, these concepts that you must know. And, and apparently if you just implement those seven key things, everything's going to be fantastic. But, um, of course, business is not inanimate. It's actually filled with people and, um, and people are, are at various stages of their own growth. Is that something that resonates with you in terms of when you're starting to build a team around you and, and, and how you actually dealt with your own personal development as well as how your team was developing? in the process. Yeah. While I was listening, in true confession, I jumped onto Facebook for a very good reason that I have my all-time favorite quote on my personal Facebook page. And it's by Jim Rowan, who you may know, your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development. And that was my mantra for last year. And it still resonates, we will forever. And um, I guess if I think back to when my business, my first business started, I didn't know what I needed to know. I didn't know who I needed to be as a business manager and a team leader. And um, I couldn't see myself in the business from any other perspective than my own. So, um, yeah, that became apparent. I, I guess I kind of wore that in terms of stress and wore that in terms of where all the business activity was happening, was happening in the evenings and on weekends. And that's suboptimal with a husband working shifts and young children. So, um, yeah, certainly change was needed. And it actually was a process in itself to figure out what the change was. And I could then apply those principles of how I was managing myself and growing myself then to my team as well. There was transference across there also. But boy, that took time. That that wasn't just a little six-month phase. That took years. Yeah. Took me years. And, and hence, I guess, the philosophy of uh, Naker and that ongoing, you know, mm. transformation layering and refining up. and layering up type of philosophy yeah. that you've got. That's fantastic. So, um so you define yourself now as um, as a coach or a mentor, you know, how, or is it both? Or do you wear a few different hats at, simultaneously? How would you, you explain that? You run a it? business, Yanni. You run businesses. How <laughs> many hats can fit on one, uh, one head? Oh, God. So Naker Consulting is my second business and um, it is a very different business than Kids Therapy Network. I'm older and wiser. I'm probably older than I am wiser, but hopefully um, equal measure on that one. And so um, there's a lot more strategy, a lot more clarity about um, the why and the future, a very different focus and very different team on delivering that strategy on a day-by-day kind of basis. Mentoring, if we think about the definition, is being able to share the wisdom of your lived personal or business experience. So absolutely ticking the mentoring box. But um, in the very, very end days of my private practice, I did uh, formal coach training. So approved coach training with a program authorised by the International Coach Federation. That was transformational by far and away the best personal and professional development I ever did. So it was a full-on 
60 plus hour um, programs. So I certainly hold the coaching principles dear to my clinical heart and dear to my personal heart and dear to my business heart as well. So they are words that are used, I, I believe, in the general commercial world somewhat interchangeably, but I have very clear definition about when I am mentoring and when I am coaching. So imagine a dial. I can dial one up, I can dial the other down, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it is a um, semantic detail, if you like, but um, certainly do both. I would also add, while we're kind of in the, the verb and the doing department, is we do a lot of training as well. We offer a range of webinars. We've got resources online to um, both startups, but also um, very mature and future-focused um, established businesses as well. Yeah, I think that's um, absolutely critical. Earlier in uh, my own business life and sort of, you know, going through the startup phase of Core Plus, for example, I was aware that there were a few things that I wasn't particularly strong at. And so I had to address that and had to get people in who were better than me um, in those particular areas. And, and that way it could sort of confine me to doing the things that I was really good at while still having a very clear plan and a step-by-step approach mm. to actually move towards those goals and just keep stepping forward. But I'm a strong believer that um, the business is a small group of people that is helping, assisting, adding value, you know, whatever terminology yeah. you want to use to a large group of people. And so you've got to invest heavily in the people and their own improvement, you know, their professional development. And uh, from our point of view, we put a lot of resources into improving our people. We've got a uh, commitment to a minimum spend every year of 2% of our payroll Mm. that goes towards professional development and really nurture that throughout the whole year, always encouraging people to look for things to expand themselves with. Some of those are aligned and directly relevant to, I guess, the short to medium term objectives for the individual and for the company as well. But I'm a strong believer that um, if you're learning, it, it kind of doesn't matter what you're learning. You do need to have, you know, your skill and capability in terms of the role that you play and the, and the, and the job that you do, so to speak. But I think when we learn, we're nurturing ourselves, we're, um, we're gaining inspiration because there are a lot of similarities across different businesses on how people organise themselves. It doesn't always necessarily need to fit neatly into a healthcare box, for example, or into a health technology, you know, type box. It Mm. can come from different areas. Have you seen that through your own travels as well? What delights me is when I hear that allied health business owners are taking a 360 degree view of their team and their colleagues. My heart breaks a little bit when I hear the word staff, but that could just be a personal crusade. Yeah, I definitely Uh, agree with that. But what lights me up is when uh, there is the courage to actually build a team that um, have disclosure of some of their personal goals along with their professional goals and that there is really robust conversation about the alignment of their personal and their professional with the business goals as well. So um, that might sound a little woohoo to some, you know, some of that kind of uh, a little more traditional kind of thinking. But um, yeah, look, your your team are your, your biggest investment, your biggest asset, your biggest part of your brand, biggest part of your delivery, and it's got to be all in and facing the sun and step by step. Let me just have the soapbox for another 90 seconds. <laughs> I um, I really dislike the term clinical supervision and I hear it all of the time. I much prefer phrases like uh, performance development, you know, something a little bit more general because if you have staff and you're providing clinical supervision, you are so under-optimising the beautiful humans that you have in your business that you share your day with and share your your clients with as well. So, um 
anyway, that's it. I feel better now. Thank you for that little airspace. I, I, I get that. I, that really resonates with me as well, Cathy. Uh, in a previous life, um, I worked with a uh, multinational organisation and um, that used language that was very impersonal and um, mm. didn't really factor in, you know, what my personal objectives were. So it kind of expanded my mind that um, in your own business, you have to lead and leading is not being a boss. Leading is not sort of, um, you can you can manage people, you know, you can say, did you do that? Or, you know, here's a metric for you to hit every week or every month and stay focused on that. But that kind of um, is pushing a person. You're trying to find a way to get them to achieve something that perhaps they don't naturally want to do. So I think the um, part of the recruiting and the leadership part of it is to actually find people who um, are naturally aligned with your organisation and the organisation's mission, you know, what it's about, what it's trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. for example. But they also bring um, skills and capabilities that are adding to the overall collective within the organisation and very synergistic, very complementary. And so, you know, some years ago I reached this kind of um, point where um, I didn't want to create jobs. What I wanted to do was to um, empower people to self-actualise so that they would have their own personal objectives met through the way that we work together and the way that we cooperated together. That's a philosophy that drives all the expansion of our team and we're very connected with the idea of um, we're human, right? So we're not just job titles and we're not sort of, you know, um, start time, stop time. We're human beings who, um, yes, have families, have lives, have friends, have hobbies, have interests and also want to help the customer or help our client, you know, achieve what they want to achieve. That's part of who they are. Yeah. But it's not exclusively who they are and yeah. it's not it's not something that is separate and distinct from them. So finding that natural alignment, I think, is um, is really important. Do you see that kind of evolution oh, happening? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and you have very elegantly answered the question I was going to ask about how that principle of a 360 view of human awesomeness shows up in your teams and um, sounds as though it's uh, it shows up day in, day out. It's a reimagination of the recruitment idea. So rather than recruit, you make space for people to join. It's a bit like those words you were talking about earlier where you're sort of, it's got a title and, you know, perhaps in an academic, impersonal way, it makes sense. It's literally a way of communicating a concept around business. But um, yeah, if you're sort of creating jobs, I think you're undermining your chances of success. What you need to do is find people who want to join you with the mission and being very clear about what the meaning and purpose is of the organisation and its relationship with the customer. You know, since I had that epiphany personally, through my own lived experience as well, it's made a transformational difference in the way that Mm. um, the team has been built. Everybody is able to blend their work, life, family, interests, hobbies. They work anywhere, anytime. It's a totally organic union of um, aligned interests. Do you think those types of concepts can translate into the healthcare setting? I believe that allied health businesses are on a perhaps a little bit of a faster and steeper trajectory than they uh, signed up for in terms of being seen in the marketplace as um, mature and modern um, employers and places to work and that it's a place to be, not just a place to work as well. So, yeah, this is absolutely uh, where you can be taking steps towards having a respectful, um, trusted place of robust conversations, but where some of the truest alignment and connections are about the client vision and about the role that you have in that organisation and to also be prepared for that changing role as well. 
so often I hear, oh, I just, I don't want a year of growth. I want a year of consolidation. And I sort of just about put my phone down at that point. <laughs> and so, um, you know, continuous improvement, but I like the spirit of improvement. I've been using some of those words because that means you have that mindset behind improvement. And improvement is not just your products and your prices and your outcomes and your systems and your tech. It's absolutely that human capability and capacity to be um, individual and to be united um, around that care of the client. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of triggers another thought from uh, a few years back where, um, you know, as a leader in your business, you feel like you have to have all the answers. And um, what I realized many years ago is that um, the crowd was always smarter than I was. And so I relinquished that sense of, hey, I need to have the answers for everything and um, let the team come up with the answers and let the customers come up with the answers and then make sure that we're serving the outcome, you know, so that when the collective forms a view as to how things should be, then that's what we should be doing because the, you know, the principle I have is that the collective is always smarter than the individual. Um, many hands make light work, you know, a, a lot of people looking at the same problem on average will produce a better result. There's a, a better outcome in terms of the answer. These things seem to play themselves out um, at a crowd level. So, you know, in your organization, you're a little crowd and you might think that you're, you know, creating space for somebody to join the organization in a certain role, but then it becomes apparent three to six months in that they naturally have more value to add in a different capacity. They're sort of evolving in some way because there's something about them that is an X factor, let's say, or there's something there that is unique to that individual that you didn't mm. even contemplate when you were sort of writing the job description or, you know, trying to plan your, your organizational structure, so to speak. Uh, it's not a surprise anymore, but it's just, it's so refreshing and pleasant mm. to see people self-actualize, you know, just um, expand and reach their potential and keep going with it. It's, um, it's an amazing feeling. I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a big part of, well, it's yeah. one, of the, one of the main things I enjoy in working with people. To um, run a little interference on that is that um, if we think about allied health and if we think about the training they receive and if we think about what therapy looks like or what our current perception of what good therapy looks like, I'm doing air quotes for everyone listening, that sort of sits at odds with what a contemporary business model, service delivery model could, should, will look like. There is still very strong attachment to providing therapy across the table, one-on-one, -on -one, an hour, come back next week, I'm the only person that can really solve this for you, stick with me. So a little bit of what I describe as medical model, expert model, and a lot of my clients and contacts are in the disability space and um, in the disability sector. What a dreadful term, but um, that's kind of what we use at the moment, hopefully not for much longer. So um there is this little bit of a mismatch in terms of what people are trained to do, what good therapy apparently looks like versus a business model and certainly funding streams that are starting to lap that model. How do you see that tension and what good therapy, good service might look like in the next year or two? Oh, I know that the NDIS gets a bit of a negative rap. You know, there's there's been a lot of challenges with it, but at the heart of the scheme are some principles that really I connect with and and mm. I believe in, and uh, that comes down to the uh, the idea of being client centric, and um, focusing in on the the recipient of the services, the customer, the client, the participant. I know the industry is going through some uh, linguistic gymnastics around you know the the terminology, but let's say the person who is um, receiving support or services, that whole empowerment idea of um, putting the customer at the centre of the service delivery model 
um, is really philosophically aligned with me. I think that's really important because aside from what I do every day with the Health Tech X community and Core Plus and what have you, um, I'm a customer. You know, I, I consume services and, uh, and I've, been, I've been involved as a customer in the healthcare system. And, you know, my experience hasn't been fantastic. It hasn't been great. And it's not because the individuals um, were the issue or the fault. It's that kind of incentive-based management-styled approach to organising it. And I get it. It's hard to scale a Medicare scheme without having very uh, repeatable, you know, item numbers and processes every day. The same thing for the NDIS. There's, there's always when something's big, at some point it's going to have these um, uh, scaled management-type thoughts that come into it. And that's all part of it. But having said that, I think that intersection between the real world human experience and um, the, let's say, data world or, you know, the the world of the management of the scheme, I think that's the opportunity for the healthcare system is to think about integrating, um, you know, health tech or digital health capabilities that allow for a more human-centric engagement that doesn't necessarily depend on a structured one-on-one encounter. There's a relationship that exists before, during and after the appointment, so to speak. And how that unfolds, who can tell? You know, I I mean, I've got some theories and I've got some ideas on on how I think it's going to go and and our team thinks it's going to go. But I definitely think that it's building more of a relationship with the client um, as opposed to providing them services. What are your thoughts? I'm looking forward to allied health businesses taking a broader view than the therapy snapshot, the therapy session snapshot, and really having a think about what value. I talk about value exchange. So we have skills and ideas and knowledge and we exchange that for money. So that is just value. Yeah. Going one way and going the other way. So going back to thinking more than what the therapy session looks like is what value you have contributed to that customer in the hours and days and weeks and months before they perhaps found you, what their experience of the session was, but what it looks like after or between sessions and where I think there's enormous value to be added in that magic between sessions, as I call it. I'm looking forward to seeing people get super creative about that time. But to also really kind of swap roles and sit on the other side of their therapy and imagine what it would be like and really getting in and finding out what customers want, not what allied health professionals think they need based on their skills or interests or motivations, is to really having a very customer-centric understanding. And I'm anticipating a whole lot of super, super creative, um, responsive opportunities and re-reimagining of services based on that. So already I know that uh, small, curious businesses are bringing customers in for roundtables. What if? What don't we see? What don't you like? How can we improve? And um, these aren't the big multinational household names. These are local, heavily invested neighbourhood businesses. And they will be very, very recognisable in months and years to come. Their language will change, their websites will change, their customer pathways will, well, they will have customer pathways rather than blocks of therapy. Um, and they will be really leveraging their intellectual property and leveraging their value and connections very, very 
differently, I anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's really encouraging to hear, um, you know, that you're seeing that. It kind of makes sense. I think there was a period of time in our contemporary history where the whole management idea took hold and, you know, we we're running organisations. It's sort of that post-industrial revolution type mm-hmm. era. And um, we use sort of terms that scientifically and academically you could actually talk to people about it. But at the end of the day, that model that I keep coming back to is think of your business as a small group of people helping a large group of people. And that larger group of people are not this sort of arm's length entity called a customer. They're a real human being and so are you. And you can relate with each other and um, you can support each other above and beyond the actual therapy. And I love the term value because I think that's important. You know, I hear a lot of uh, private practices sort of talk about how they can, um, you know, grow their revenues and their practices. And, you know, there's um, frustrations with some of the insurers that are trying to lower the cost of services. And, you know, private clients are seen to be more lucrative than, um, you know, referred clients from insurers and what have you. And you kind of look at that and go, well, do you actually know what your client would pay for? right? Just because everybody else is thinking a certain way, is that the only way we can approach the delivery of a uh, service and the pricing of it? Because if you sit down with the customer, and here's some, this is sort of a non-health um, example, and I'll never forget this moment, but I was in Dubai just uh, transiting uh, one stage and I was walking around uh, some of the massive shopping areas that they've got there. And I've got a real interest in, you know, technology, surprise uh, shock there. But, but, but I also love engineering and mechanical capabilities. And I was looking at some uh, machinery that was sort of, you know, um, being offered. And I saw this polo top as I was walking through the aisles and it had a $600 price tag on it, right? And it was a polo top and it's a polo top that, you know, you could get for 25 bucks, right? And, you know, I had this sort of reaction of who the heck is going to pay $600 for this polo top? And then I had this epiphany, somebody will. It's not pitched at the masses. That's pitched at somebody who is seeing value in that, you know, logo, brand, um, the experience they have when they walk into that store. Even the emotion of um, feeling as though they could spend $600 mm-hmm. on, on the uh, polo top, right? Whatever the reason is, there's, there's a percentage of people who will pay, up, you know, above and beyond the going rate, so to speak, to get something else. And what is that? And that's part of what you're describing, I think, which is um, really getting to know the customer beyond the therapy and surveying them and talking to them and engaging with them and really eliciting from them what it is that they want to receive as a service. And within that, I think there would be, um, no pun intended, but some pearls of wisdom around um, how you can enhance your service model, you know, to the client um, and really give them what they want, including outcomes in healthcare. Um, and the you know, polo top. And a polo top, yeah. Did you buy it? No. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want the, uh, actually, the combination of reasons, I, it's just, uh, you know, I come from a humble migrant family. The idea of spending $600 on, yeah. a, uh, on a polo top, you know, something would break in me. I couldn't yeah. do it. But you know what? There are others who could and, and, you know, and that's great. And that's what's beautiful about life. There's something for everyone. I guess the question for people listening is, what if, what, what would a $600 polo top equivalent be in your business? You know, that could be a way that you differentiate the type of service that you provide and, uh, you know, and you transform and um, it's a reimagination. You know, I grew up, uh, for example, where we always used to wash our own cars and um, and now you just drive them into places and other people do it for you, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Or you don't so, do it at all. Or you don't do it at all. So um, what do people value? 
ask, mm. find out. And, and that's, it may not be what you think. It may not be what you think and, you yeah. know, and it might be within your punching range. It might be something that perhaps you could do really easily. That's not too much of a departure from what you're already doing. And, um, and the customer's experience is enhanced and they value it more and they're, they're willing to pay you a little bit more. And it's not bound to providing an hour of therapy or 50 minutes of therapy. Yeah. It's just all of that other, all of that other magic and wisdom. Absolutely. Well, that's been uh, great, Kathy. Thank you very much for some of the insights and a little bit of your history and background. Um, I think it's really important for um, matching, I guess, you know, the challenges of running a business, doesn't matter, you know, what type of business it is, but certainly in healthcare, with um, people who have been there and done that. And um, I think also another thing that perhaps is understated about you, Kathy, is that because you do work with multiple clients of different shapes and scale, you're able to actually assimilate a lot of uh, mm. thinking and um, turn that into something that is um, method, um, process, perhaps um, tried and tested. And I think that's really valuable. That's something that a lot of business owners don't get when you're in the isolation of running your own business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would frame that by saying I'm an absolute vault of confidentiality when I think about what I know about all of my customers across Australia. I am, however, you know, just thrilled on a daily basis to hear about really interesting challenges and really even more interesting solutions. And um, I share with permission what I can. So I do have a a really uh, significant library of business insights, if you like, across how things are done, how allied health is done across Australia, particularly in the disability sector. That's where most of my absolutely wonderful clients are serving people with different abilities and mental health challenges as well. So um, the vault, but also the opportunity to uh, somewhat cross-pollinate as well. Oh, fantastic. But I guess just to finish off, uh, Cathy, in the context of reimagining healthcare, is there a, a one-liner, a paragraph on what you would like to see or what would be your call to action on reimagining healthcare as it stands? Current status isn't good enough. You know, there is a good enough line in business where you think it's good enough. And I believe that the um, true outcomes, the true success sits on the other side of good enough. And that might be a team leap, a tech leap, a reporting leap, it might be a personal leap. But if you're hearing yourself say, this is good enough, I will be in your ears challenging you to think not necessarily bigger, but differently. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate that. Always appreciate speaking with you. And uh, thanks very much for taking the time today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.